second week of our fall growth campaign uh, called uh, Mission Critical. Could you guys humor me real quick? You know, last week we, um, we kind of unveiled our new mission statement. And again, it, it connects to the mission this church has been on from its beginnings. Uh, and it also reflects where God has us and what he's doing in our midst right now. And so it's up here on the wall, um, projected up there. Renata did a great job uh, of um, getting that up there for us. Can you guys humor me and say it with me? Um, it starts up at the top. I know it goes a little weird because of the way the letters are, but I think you'll, you'll be able to do it. Let's say it together. It starts off. We are a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. Good job. Hey, um, as we go through this mission statement and unpack it, uh, we come to our first step. There's really three steps in it. And the first step is that we're a church on mission. And the question you should ask is what's the mission, right? What's the mission? We're on mission. That's great, pastor, but what is the mission? And uh, really in the scriptures, uh, the mission comes from God himself. Uh, We don't create it. We didn't come up with it. Um, We're supposed to do some work as to how we're going to work to accomplish it. and, And what are we supposed to do in our time to make sure that the mission is getting done and we're working at it? Um, And so that's important, but we didn't create the mission. And so we want to go through from the scriptures in this series, because all of these things come out of scripture, right? And so we just want to unpack some kind of famous passages in the Bible and and uh, reorient ourselves with them, make sure that we're back on track and we're staying on track with really the core teachings that that God gives us in the the scriptures. And so uh, the first scripture we're going to look at today, our first passage, is called the Great Commission. It's the best place, I think, uh, where the, the, um, the mission that God's called us to is really presented, and that's in Matthew 28. So if you want to follow along in your Bible there, of course, we'll have the verses up on the screen, but Matthew 28, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 20, and, uh, and this is really, again, a simple place where uh, the, the mission that Jesus was on and really worked at where he presents to his 11 disciples how they're going to continue it and what their role is going to be in continuing to advance that same mission. The mission that we're a part of today, 2,000 years after Jesus, is that same mission. And it's a mission, really, that God originally started before the foundations of the world began. The Bible tells us that when God created us, uh, there were two human beings, Adam and Eve, In the beginning, they were placed in the Garden of Eden, and they were given, because they were made in God's image, they were given a little bit of power of choice, a power to choose right or wrong. And they had to have that choice, because otherwise they would be robotic, and and we would not be free-willed beings in God's image. We would be be, uh, more like uh, robots or machines who are designed and programmed to do certain things. And so God created us like him, and he wanted to have a relationship with us. And of course, to have a relationship with somebody, they have to have the ability to choose whether they want to have that relationship or not. And so God created us that way. We know that Adam and Eve, very early on, they were given that test. Would they um, obey God or not? And of course, they chose not to. Under the influence of Satan, they chose to disobey. 
and to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This led to the curse that w- uh, fell on all of creation and the entire universe, brought sin into the world and sin into uh, the human race, and that separated us from God. And you got to know that God began immediately uh, to work towards a rescue mission to redeem and restore that broken relationship. And we can see it begin from the very beginning of the Bible that culminates in Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth. And God takes on a human body. And he lives among us. He walks among us. He interacts with us. Reveals to us who God is. And ultimately, he goes to a cross to die. And the purpose of that death, it was purposeful. It was to pay for or atone for, the Bible says, the sins of all the world. And so this was the mission that God began, that Jesus completed. We looked at last week, that mission heart of God in John 17, how God was on mission and Jesus came and fulfilled, completed the work that he was given to do. And this week we're going to look at how he then co-missions his disciples who were to become apostles. And they become apostles through this commission because now they are going, they're sent ones and they're to testify to what they have learned and seen. And so Matthew 28, um, Jesus speaking his final words to his disciples regarding what he has for them to do. Starting in verse 16, follow along as I read 16 and 17. Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples, remember Judas, who betrayed him, is gone, committed suicide. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus said, go, I'll meet you there. And so they headed that direction. When they saw him, as they arrived, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. I got a mentor that um, helped coach me through uh, some of my years, and he wrote, writes a newsletter. And During the COVID years, he wrote uh, one uh, issue of his newsletter. He asked the question, hey, leaders, pastors, leaders, is anybody doubting your leadership? Uh, and are you frustrated with that? And of course, every leader, some of you have to lead people. Some of you know, during COVID, like every leader was doubted, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. It was a difficult time. And so, of course, all of us are saying, yes, we are. And he, he pointed us to this passage and he said, well, be encouraged because these 11 men that walked with Jesus, they knew him, they walked with him, they were taught by him, their lives were transformed by him. At the last moment that they're looking at him and he's speaking to them, right? Some of them doubted even him. And so it's okay. Maybe your kids sometimes doubt your leadership. Maybe your spouse does. Hey, it's all right. Um, we doubt as human beings, right? We're a little skeptical. And so it's part of the process. But, but be encouraged by that. That's the context here of Jesus now moves into 11 guys, not all of them 100% with him, okay? But he's still gonna commission these guys and believe in them as to the future of the work that he started, going to place it in their hands to advance. And so there's four components we want to look at today as we unpack this great commission. And the first component is this. We have God's authority for this mission. As Jesus begins to explain to his disciples what it is that he has for them to do, He starts off with these words in verse 18. He says, it says this, Jesus came, he comes up to his disciples. He came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Authority. 
I think a good equivalent for authority is power. Jesus is saying to his disciples, before I give you your marching orders, your mission, what it is I want you to accomplish, I need you to understand something. I do this with 100% authority and power. Jesus, in his resurrected form, body, standing in front of them, glorified, had been restored to his position that he had before he came to earth, before he humbled himself and took on a human body. He'd been restored to that position and even elevated in terms of his authority and governance over all of the universe. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 100% of the power needed to send you on this mission you're going to have behind you. Um, when I study the Bible, when I prepare a message or even do my own Bible study, one of the things that I do and one of the things that I'll encourage you to do is as you're reading a passage, you're going to find that there's a theme that stands out in that passage. In this particular passage, we have this idea that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we want to understand or get a little more of an idea of what that means. And the way we do it is we look in Scripture for other places where Jesus is explained to us who Jesus is, okay? Fortunately, that doctrine is called Christology, and we have a lot of places in the Bible where Jesus is explained to us because, of course, Jesus is perhaps the central figure of all the Bible. And so the New Testament, there's quite a few passages that we can look to to give us a little bit better idea of what this means. One of them is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. All of these are going to be in the context of the apostles writing to a group of people like us, explaining to them what is happening, what's going on in their life, and the way in which they should understand who Jesus is. And so Ephesians 1, starting verse 19, goes this way. Again, the apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. In other words, Jesus, all God, all man, upon completing his work, is elevated by God the Father to a place of supreme, complete power and authority in all of the world, in all of the universe. He holds it together. It is sustained by him. He has absolute authority to dictate what happens. It's under his control. This is the nature of Jesus. Again, as Jesus commissions his disciples, this is what's behind this commissioning. It's this power and authority. And God gave Jesus this position, not because he jockeyed for it, not because he said, hey, I'm going to arm wrestle you for it. You know, let me get, you know, the way we, we as human beings try to get into positions, you know, we kind of compete. 
Well, Jesus didn't compete, okay? What he did was he surrendered and submitted himself. The attitude that Jesus had to gain this position, be given this powerful position over all the world, over all of the universe, it happened as a result of what he did in obedience to God. Philippians 2 is another famous passage that gives us some more information about Jesus and this process of being placed in a position of power. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. This is how um, this passage reads. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This attitude of humility that Jesus took allowed him to humbly go about the work that God called him to, to accomplish the mission. And when he did, God elevated him once again to a place of highest honor. And this is how high and how powerful the, the name of Jesus is. And the one who's commissioning these uh, disciples, uh, apostles, is that at the name of Jesus, a time will come when every person will bow. Whether they want to or not, whether they agree with him or not, whether they love him or not. And it's not because he's going to force them to their knees. It's because they have to in his presence because of who he is. He is above all things. And he has earned that position, if you will, because of his humility and because of his surrender to God. This is the same way that we are to walk as commissioned disciples, as followers of Jesus who are sent on mission, just like these first apostles were, to carry out the mission of God, to continue this, this uh, rescue mission. The second component that we see in this passage, we wanna, I kind of want to ask this question. There's different ways I could look at this. The next verse begins to really give the meat of the mission. And Jesus lays out for them, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. So I have the authority, I have all authority, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you on a mission with that authority. I'm going to send you into the world. And so, um, but one of the things that we might ask as we in, uh, engage this mission, which is to go, okay, to go and make disciples, we'll see in a minute, is we might ask the question as we go through this life, who is it that's eligible to be saved? Who is it that could be or that we could reach as we go through life? Should we be just talking to everybody? Um, you know, I was a salesman for a while and, and, and with sales, you're kind of taught like you need to qualify, right? You don't just go everywhere. You need to figure out where to go and who to target because there's your best opportunities, okay? And so we might ask the question, who is it that we can reach? And what we're going to find as we go through this commission is that we can reach anyone on this mission. Matthew 28, let's read verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some versions translate those first, that first admonition as, as you are going, okay, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. 
The point is that the going is implicit. We all go as we move through this life. We, we move out, right? And here we are interacting with people. We're bumping into people as we navigate life. And so, um, so that command is, is kind of a, um, the thing is that we're going with this message. We're moving forward on mission. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I got into college, it was like this question, is baptism really that big a deal? It's just a public display of your faith. You're really saved. You don't know, do you really have to get baptized? And uh, it took me a while to figure out that, yeah, Jesus actually commanded it, you know, right here. So it is a big deal. Something we should do. It's an act of obedience to God. But who is eligible for salvation, we might ask? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. But who is it that I can talk to? Who is it that I can reach? Well, some might say that God has elected or chosen those who would be saved. You maybe heard that before. I know I have, and of course I agree with that. The Bible teaches that. But how does this work? Because the Bible also reflects the idea that people have the ability to choose and have, are required to choose to follow Jesus, to put their faith in him, right? And so you say, well, if he's chosen me ahead of time, then how does my choice matter, and, and how does this all work? Maybe you've asked this question before. Maybe not, but I want you to know you came to the right place today because I have the answer. Okay, this is a tough one, but I'm going to give you my view on it. And of course, I think my view's right. I wouldn't be any good if I didn't. But, but uh, if you want to talk about this, want to have a conversation, if perhaps you disagree with me, I would love to talk about it. I enjoy that. And, uh, and uh, I'm not so dogmatic that I'm not able to have a conversation, right? I'm, I'm willing to listen and talk. And this is me working at this for a lot of years to come to an understanding of how this all works together. But I think to find... Some explanation of how it works. We've got to look to Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, starting in verse 28. And really, this passage, again, another famous passage in the Bible, Romans 8, uh, speaks to a lot of things. One of the things that we see here is that the discussion is being made of how do you determine what God's will for your life is? How do you know what to do? And, and how, do you, how do you determine, okay, what, God, what do you want me to do? And really, the instruction here, the encouragement is that if you don't know what to do, God is actually interceding on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is praying to the Father in relation to God's will and uh, in accordance with what's in your heart. Things that you may not even understand. So you're saying, what do I do in this situation? Where do I go? Who should I marry? You know, uh, what, what career should I uh, move into? What, how should I live, right? And these are big decisions and big uh, things that we wrestle with. And we want to know God's will. And yet sometimes it, it seems like we, we just can't figure it out. And Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. So he's interceding. And then we get this really encouraging uh, uh, verse, Romans 8, 28, that you may have heard before. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So here's the encouragement from this. If you love God and you're following and pursuing him, then you are trying to discern what God's will is. And sometimes you may not know, but here's the good news. According to Romans 8, 28, whatever decision you make, God can work in it, right, for your good. That's encouraging to me because I've had to make a lot of decisions in my life. And uh, I may feel certain about them, but not all of them. And so there's some good news and encouragement in that. But what he goes on to say is how this works that you've been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew... Foreknow means foreknowledge, knew ahead. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined or predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, right? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus led the way. He was the first one. And what comes behind him are those who have been foreknown and predestined to be like him. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So when he predestined, there was a calling. And when someone's called, they've got to respond, right? They've got to respond to that calling. So they've got to move. They've got to make a choice to move in the direction they're being called. And when they respond to that call, they're justified or made right before God. And then ultimately they're glorified like Jesus was. All right, so here's my explanation of predestination working together with human choice is that God sees our existence all at the same time. We've talked about this before. God is outside of time and space. He created this. So for him, your existence, my existence, this entire universe's existence, it's already happened. It, it's at the same time. The beginning and the end are at the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't, time doesn't uh, affect how he views things. He sees the beginning from the end all at the same time. That's why he knows the future. He knows the past. Time is not a constraint for him. So I know it's hard to understand, but that's how I believe it works. And so then what we have is God making a determination to save those who would respond in faith to him. And so he predetermined that those he foreknew that would choose him and respond to the offer of salvation that those individuals would be predestined to spend eternity with him in heaven. Right? Pretty good, huh? I didn't make it up. I'm not bragging. I just think that's a great explanation. It took me a long time to get there. You probably had it figured out years ago. But anyway, um, this is how predestination works with human choice. The point is, why do I talk about this this morning? Because as we go, and as we are commissioned, we can reach anyone. You can reach out to anyone. It doesn't matter who they are. Anyone in your family. Anyone that you work with. Anyone that you help serve. It's a customer or, or somebody that you, you're helping them, right? Uh, any friend. Anyone. All have the opportunity to put their trust in Jesus and can be saved. When we move through this series, we'll get to the share the gospel week, and we'll unpack a little bit more that process. But the good news is as we go, we can reach anyone. So the next concept that we see here in the Great Commission has to do with what happens. What's the process here? What, what is part of what's going on? That he's, what's the work that Jesus is asking us to do? Go and make disciples. So he unpacks a little more what disciples are. In Matthew 28, verse 20, the first part of it says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Teach these new disciples to obey. So we have a process of teaching and learning, right? And so I, of course, thought of what I've been taught uh, years ago when it comes to education. My education involved learning about education, right? How to teach and what the responsibility of a teacher is and what the responsibility of a learner is. And one of the things that's kind of been put together in terms of education is what's called Bloom's taxonomy, right, of learning. And there's six levels to it. 
Uh, and I'm not preaching this as it's from the Bible, okay? But I think it's kind of interesting. I think there's some truth in here. It kind of reflects some of it, the Great Commission. But here's the six levels. The first level is remember. You know when you're learning something new, you're just learning about it. When you're learning a new language, you got to memorize the vocabulary, right? Hate that part. It's so hard. But you got to memorize the vocabulary. You don't even know what the words mean. you got to memorize them. Then you move to the next level, which uh, is understand. That's where you memorize the vocab and you begin to understand what the words mean. And then the third level is apply, where you start to use the words, right? Put them together and try to talk. Those are the first three. We see those three in the Great Commission, don't we? Teach these new disciples, right, to obey everything I've commanded. And so you and I are called in Scripture to move to become disciple-makers, that's the call. Not just to be disciples, but to become disciple makers. Which means we're going to have to learn to teach. We're going to have to help someone else learn. I guarantee you've all done that in some area of your life. You've helped someone else learn how to do something you know how to do. And so this is the process. We first must learn it, though. And what's the learning steps that Jesus calls us to here? Well, it's to learn and remember what he taught, which fortunately we have in the Bible. Then we've got to understand it so that we can live it out. That's the calling. And once we know that, once we have done that or begun that process, then we can help somebody else. We can help somebody else get started. The next three levels, which move a little bit higher, which is what we did incidentally when we were talking about predestination and, you know, free will. You get into analyzing, evaluating, and creating. And so you can move into kind of higher levels of discussion about the content, about what the Bible has to say, who the Bible says Jesus is, the concepts that are in the Bible, and then we, uh, we work with those, we can play with them a little bit more, understand them, and then begin to apply them differently, uh, even as a church or in the world. Our mission involves this simple process. What's required for us to move through those first three levels, for sure, is, as we said, Jesus had this attitude of humility. He humbled himself to be uh, to the level of obedience to the Father. And that, of course, is what we must do. If we're going to become disciples, we've got to learn to obey. Uh, there's a quarterback that I learned of as a young man. Um, he played a uh, well-known quarterback in the United States, played for what was, used to be called America's team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, right? And back in the 70s when I was young and I was kind of just learning about all this and pretty enamored with professional football, um, I got this little comic book about this quarterback, Roger Staubach, and his testimony. And uh, he kind of shared his faith in Christ and how he lived for Jesus. And, and in it was his coach, Tom Laundry. And, uh, and, of course, how those two worked together was interesting. In Roger Staubach's testimony uh, that he told after winning the Super Bowl, 1971. I was alive then, but I was very young. 1971. But here he won a Super Bowl, and he, he shared kind of some of the struggle to get to that, um, that level of accomplishment and success. He said, uh, one of the hard things is I worked for this coach, Tom Landry, and, and he controlled completely the offense. He controlled it. He made every call. He called every play. And I had to obey his leadership and direction. And he said it was kind of hard because I was a pretty good quarterback, one of the best in the country, playing for one of the greatest teams in the country, and we're experiencing success. He said it was hard. My pride told me 
I should be dictating what happens here on the field. I'm in the game. What does he know? He's on the sidelines. But, and so he wrestled with it. But he had to come to a place where he could uh, surrender to that leadership. What he says is that in this struggle, when he faced up to the issue of obedience, this is what helped him. He said, once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. The same thing is true in our lives. When we learn to obey Jesus, when we surrender to him, most of our problems come in the battle of our will against his. We don't want to surrender to his direction. Does he really know what's going on in our lives? After all, he's in heaven. Does he really know? He's telling me to do this, but that doesn't feel like what I should do. And we go through those struggles, right? But the real path forward in life when it comes to being a disciple is when we can learn to obey. When I was a kid, there was a little song, and it taught me how to spell a word, which I'm not very good at spelling, but it taught me to spell the word obedience. And it went O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And the reverse is true. (laughs) We're not going to obey if we don't believe. And so the challenge at the core of this is to become obedient, to walk like Jesus, and to listen to his instructions and apply them. And as we grow to that level, and believe me, there's always more growth in that simple process of following him and listening to him, we can move to those higher levels of understanding. We can engage those higher topics within our faith, and we can become leaders who can help others and really work to establish even what the church does, and how should we lead forward in order to accomplish the mission. The problem is there's a breakdown to it in that we struggle. Sometimes we struggle to continue to grow like we should. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, uh, again, writing to the church in Rome, who is under persecution, considering walking away from the faith. And he says to them, uh, regarding Jesus, he gives them kind of a high-level Uh, a complex presentation of who Jesus was. And he relates him to a priest in the Old Testament called Melchizedek. And he says, Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king, so he was a ruler, a governmental ruler, and he was a priest, a religious leader. And he said, Jesus is in the same vein. He's in that same order. Then he goes on to say this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. There's much more we would like to say about this. But but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. He gives an admonition. He's a little frustrated with them. He's like, listen, I'd love to talk to you about some of these higher things, these more complex things of the faith, but you're still struggling whether you're just going to obey Jesus. Um, can I just gently, lovingly, but like I'm supposed to do, be a little pushy, is that uh, we can find ourselves in the same spot where we've been following Jesus long enough, we should be teaching other people how to follow him, but we're still struggling whether or not we want to obey him, Right? I know I, I'm there at times. I'm not, being, I'm not pointing any fingers, but we struggle with that. And, and so let ourselves be encouraged, especially in this series, in this growth campaign, to, to step up and to make sure we're continuing to grow. I can tell you that right now, I've had many conversations with people in our church who've been in church their whole life. And they're saying, 
God's showing me something here that I need to grow in. I need to take a step further in obedience. I need to get this figured out. Man, that's encouraging to me. It makes me want to grow, right? And, and I see that happen in our church all over the place where people are taking steps. Some of them are kind of scary in directions to try to find healing or to try to uh, find recovery or, or take a step forward in obedience to just grow, to step up towards this vision to say, I want to become a disciple maker and I need to grow to be able to do that. Can I encourage you that, um, that that's going on here and that I want all of us to be a part of it? And uh, I know that the work of God moves forward. There's a couple of things that have to be in place. One is that Jesus has to be present in the church. It's his church, but not all churches invite him in. So Jesus has to be present. And the Holy Spirit has to be active. And the next component which has to be there is that we have to respond. We have to be willing to step forward in obedience. The last principle that we see in this passage, which I think is probably the most important, is that we will have Jesus' presence until this mission is accomplished. Here's what he says in the second half of verse 20. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. He has commissioned his disciples, come apostles, on an impossible mission, but for the fact that the all-powerful God of the universe is behind it. Therefore, it has the power to be accomplished. He's placing in the hands of some doubtful human beings this task of reaching the world and continuing the mission. And it seems like a great risk except two things. His power's behind it and his presence is with them. And I don't know that I need to tell you the power of presence. The power of presence is, is hard to explain. It's hard to describe. I think the best illustration I have of it that is recent for me is, um, is back in uh, 20, um, 2020 in November, I uh, lost my dad. And uh, my dad, uh, you know, through my the middle part of my life, man, I was going and blowing and didn't have a lot of time uh, to spend with him, didn't spend a lot of time with him. But in his later years, he and my mom were able to move and live uh, with us, and I got to spend a little more time with him and appreciate that connection that I needed to have with my dad. And uh, my dad had been a preacher and a, and, a, and a minister and knew the Bible and so mature and so uh, formed in the Word. And so when I started preaching here and he was able to come, I had this little deal with him. I said, Dad, after I get done preaching, I need you to listen for heresy, okay? I was kind of joking, but not, uh, like it's a big deal. It's a big responsibility, right? And so I said, Dad, you know the Word. You know what's right. I need you to tell me if I get it wrong. And so uh, he, we had this little ritual after I got done preaching. He'd come out. Uh, and meet me at the door and shake my hand. He said, well, son, no heresy today. Like, Thanks, Dad. Uh, but when he passed away, like, of course, I started to recognize, man, I missed that, right? That meant a lot to me, among other things. And, and so I did, you know, we do, we do kind of silly things sometimes to try to stay connected. You know, we had a little pocket knife, and, and there was a few months there. For a few months, I carried it on the weekends just to feel like, uh, I was still connected to him, and I know I'll see him in eternity, and so uh, I'm hopeful for that. But, but the power of presence is real, and I want you to know something. Jesus has called you to follow him and trust him and go on mission with him, and his presence is with you. He has promised never to leave us, never forsake us. He hasn't called us to something that we have to do alone. As we go, he goes with us. And that's important for us to carry out this mission, to stay on mission, because we do face opposition. 
I don't know if you know it, but not everybody out in the world we live in is real big fans of Christians, right? Not everybody's just real excited that you represent Jesus. And you might get some opposition to that. You might even get uh, laughed at or made fun of or, or even uh, criticized. But here's the deal. Jesus' presence is with you as you go. And knowing that keeps me in the fight. It keeps me moving forward. My prayer is as a church, we continue to move forward with Jesus on mission, trusting him, trusting what he's called us to, and continuing to lean into his presence, which is with us to the end of the age. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your call on our lives. The offer that you've made us of absolute, complete, and total forgiveness. Making us right with you. Not holding our sins against us. That forgiveness and that grace and mercy is just beyond what we can handle. We confess that too often we don't live out of appreciation for that, but Father, we want to. And so we pray that you would just continue to allow it to sink into our hearts and minds how much you love us and care for us and how much you're with us each and every day, each and every moment of our days. You are intimately aware of what's going on in our lives and you care. And you're with us as we work to accomplish the mission you've called us to. So God, help us to lean into your presence, to walk closer with you, to walk more confidently as representatives of you. Father, help us to stay on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as always, we want to offer an opportunity to respond to what's just been preached. And when you look at the Great Commission, it can seem kind of overwhelming of make disciples of all nations, um, whether that be here or overseas. But really the best place to start for the Great Commission is in your own heart. And the Apostle Paul was a man who was on mission, on the Great Commission. He said that he spoke boldly because of the great hope that he had in his own heart from the gospel of Christ. And for many of us, I think we lack the boldness, we lack the passion for the Great Commission because maybe we've lost hope in our own life for Christ to bring um, restoration, for Christ to bring power, and for Christ to bring change. You know, we can get used to coping with our, our sin or managing our situations or not really being hopeful that Christ can change the roadblocks and the trials that we find ourselves in our own life. So I just want to pray for us as a church that we could first be excited and hopeful for what Christ is doing in our life. Because I know for me, when I was first saved, um, I was confident anybody could get saved. If Christ could change me and if Christ could renew my mind and if Christ could make me a brand new person just by faith, he could do that with anybody. Whether that be a drug addict, whether that be the, the students in my class, or the guys on my football team, it didn't matter. Because I knew I had a hope of what the power of the gospel could do in my own life. And that's really where the Great Commission starts. So I just want to pray for us as a church that we'd be people filled with hope, not just for the mission out there, but also the mission in our own life and in our own homes. So Father God, we just thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for being with us. Not only being with us, but being in us. Jesus, you say anyone who would trust in you and, and keep your words, Lord, that you would make your home inside of us, God. So I just pray that by the hope of the gospel and by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God, that you would, for anyone here um, this morning, God, who's lost hope um, for conquering sin in their own life, Father, who's lost hope for reviving um, struggles in their marriage, Lord, or trials in their health, whatever it might be, God, that you could bring hope um, that there's, there's better things in this life than just managing and coping with our pain, but we can truly find um, restoration and healing in the name of Jesus. So Father, we thank you, we love you, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.